hear the word of God as it's found in the great book of Ezekiel, beginning at the first verse of the 37th chapter. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me round among them, and behold, there were very many upon the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And as I looked, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and sin, skin had covered them, and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great host. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you home into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, says the Lord. Amen and amen. A people is very wise when it takes time out even on a beautiful day, to look at some of those institutions that have made us great. Institutions like the church, the home, the nation, the school, government policies, all of those things that God has richly blessed to bring us to this marvelous time. But it's very, very difficult for us to scrutinize ourselves. It's difficult to try to analyze, and especially on a beautiful day when we all think 
God is in his heaven and all is right with the world, is it especially difficult to get down into the valley? You see, we're not valley people. We don't like the valley. I don't know anybody yet who has planned a vacation to go into the valley. No, we like the mountains. We plan trips for the mountaintops or beside the seashore or near the lake or out on the open prairies. But nobody, nobody likes to go into the valley. Yet that is where we do the examining. Most of us go into the valley only one way, and that's when God leads us into the valley. And you know, he does lead us beside still waters. He does make us to lie down beside the green pastures. And he does so to restore our souls. So I hope it not for myself nor for any of you, but when you go into the valley... And no one of us knows when God will lead us there. Don't let the experience be won in vain. Like Ezekiel, when God led him into the valley, look around. Look around. Allow the trip to be of some value, even if you don't like it. Look around and see those things that once were great and today are symbolized with dead bones. When Ezekiel went down to Dry Bone Valley, he looked around, and he saw disease, disembodiment, divorce, desertion, dissatisfaction, disassociation, disorganization. He saw death. He saw death. And when God leads you into Dry Bone Valley, look around and do not be surprised if you see some of these institutions, the church, the home, the school, the government, your own personal life, decomposed and represented by dead dry bones. When you go into Drybone Valley, do the three things that Ezekiel did. As you look around and see all those dry bones, first of all, don't be too quick to judge. Don't come too quickly to conclusions. You see, by nature, that's hard for us to do because... I find human nature can be divided into two groups. Either we are overly optimistic about everything or we are unduly pessimistic. We're either looking for the silver lining in every dark cloud or we become prophets of doom. And it's very difficult for us to call a spade a spade and to accurately announce the decision of the hour. Very difficult. But we must be careful. There are those who are always very quickly to say about some of these ancient institutions that God has used, the church, schools, home, family, government, the United States of America, that the days are over. The heyday is past. The day of effectiveness is gone. 
You hear them. They're the prophets of doom. And then you hear other people who, who want to gloss over everything. All oh, things are bad, but they could be better. Could be worse, though. Things will work out, things will work out, and you, you can't awaken them to the seriousness of the situation. Don't be too quick. God didn't call us to be cheerleaders of optimism, nor did he call us to arrange for premature burials. Do what Ezekiel did. Ezekiel gave the only right answer about the future and about these dead bones, these institutions that seem to have lost their effectiveness. Can these bones live? He said, I don't know, only God knows, and that's the only right answer. I don't care what you think, and I don't think you care what I think, but only God knows. And whether we like it or not, whether or not some of these institutions are revived, it depends upon God. You see, God, as we're taught in the Old Testament, causes things to happen and brings about effects and causes and brings teachings for a particular time of history. And whether or not he's going to use some of those great things that he's brought about tomorrow, only God knows. Your job and my job is not to forecast the future and saying that is dead once and for all, or no, this is only asleep and it will be resurrected. No, no. Leave those to the false prophets to say what they think will be. Instead, like Ezekiel, our job is not to say yes or no, but to proclaim only the Lord knows. And that brings us to the second thing we're to do in Dry Valley, Dry Bone Valley. And that is preach. Preach the word of the Lord. Don't spend your time saying nay or yea. Leave that up to the Lord, but instead spend your time preaching the word of the Lord. That's our job. That's our job. And to preach it as Ezekiel did, always in the theology of hope. Always. As Jesus did when he came, and what did he do? He preached. He preached good news to the poor, released to the captives, he set at liberty those who were oppressed. He preached. And your job and my job, ladies and gentlemen, is to preach. Preach the word of the Lord. And that's very important because what did that former president call us? The silent majority. And he's right. Today we do not think we should be preaching. Nobody has a right, we say, to infringe upon someone else's freedom. That's not biblical. We get tired of preaching. We think it's better to remain still and quiet. And if somebody wants to go out and kill himself, let him go. That's not Bible. We think that we don't have any real power or justification for speaking up. I don't know where we get that, but not from the Bible. Our job is to preach 
not our own opinions, but preach the word of the Lord. That's the job. Now, I know as soon as you mention that, you get all sorts of impressions. It seems everybody likes a preacher until he begins to preach. <laughs> you ever notice that? Nice guy, but eh, he's not a very good preacher. I don't know what they quite mean about that. I guess they don't mean he's entertaining enough or flamboyant enough. But Everybody likes a preacher until he or she begins to preach. And then I notice one of two things happen. First of all, they don't like to hear what the preacher's saying. They're like Grandma Becky, that 250-pound Negro mammy, who loved to go to church and hear Reverend Jones, and every time he got going, really whooping it up, she'd say, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And one day, Reverend Jones was going good. He was denouncing everything from bloody murder to shooting craps, and she was right with him until he got to snuff, sniffing. <laughs> And suddenly, Grandma, Becky, all 250 pounds of her, got very quiet. They said, what's wrong, Grandma? Reverend Jones. He done quit preaching, and now he's meddling. <laughs> There's a difference. People don't like preachers that meddle. The other thing I noticed happened to people when preachers preach... <laughs> They go to sleep. Yeah. They have a little rhyme goes something like this. What color are your preacher's eyes? I don't know. When he's praying, he has his eyes shut. And when he's preaching, I have mine shut. Yeah. The policeman tagged a car the other day. It belonged to a preacher. We came out and got the summons. He, he got the officer who made the arrest. And he says, oh... Pleading for mercy. Oh, preacher, preacher, policeman, policeman, please. I'm nothing but a poor, poor preacher. I know I was in church last Sunday. <laughs> Did I wake you up? <laughs> I don't know which is worse. I must be honest with you, as a preacher, and I spend a good many hours every week, either in the process of preparing preaching or living in the aftermath of sermons, I become very disillusioned about preaching today. I'm bearing my soul, because I'm a preacher. I wonder if you ever hear anything. I'm not being critical, and believe me, to you and to the vast radio congregation, I, I'm very pleased with the letters and comments that you, that you make. But at moments I, I begin to wonder just, does this half hour on a Sunday morning really count? And when I'm really honest, I try to say, I wonder how many people have been led to a confrontation with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of what has been said right here in this small confine of this pulpit. I wondered if any of you have been prevented from yielding to temptation because of something that was preached from this pulpit. I wonder if any of you really have been helped, really helped, and your lives change for the good because of something that God said to you from this pulpit.
And sometimes I really wonder. There's a school of thought out now that says preaching's dead. And the professional clergymen should not spend long time in their study brooding over the Word of God, trying to find that right word, that, that proper sentence, trying to find what God is trying to say today. They said, forget it. Today's the day for organization and power groups. Spend your time with people and organize and try to help them to study. Forget the pulpit. And sometimes I, I tend to agree with them that maybe we ought to come for prayer and sing and get out of here at 11.30 and forget this preaching. I wonder if you listen. Or if you listen whether or not it makes any difference for the good. <coughs> takes so much time, I, I really question at times whether or not it's worth staying home most Saturday nights when the rest of you are out, especially when I know about 10 or 11 o'clock as I'm struggling, struggling, wondering how did I ever get started on this thing, that some of you tomorrow morning or the next morning, because you didn't stay in Saturday night, will just roll over and turn off the alarm clock and think, oh well. I'll just tune in the radio today. If some of you are listening, I hope you feel guilty. <laughs> it's a mystery to me, I don't quite understand it, how God can put an idea up here from this particular book. Now he can allow it to ferment. And how I can become miserable trying to figure out what should be said. Spend long hours studying and reading and thinking and recomposing. Sleeping little Saturday nights, getting up early Sunday mornings. Standing here in a half shake as you sing that hymn before we ascend this pulpit. How God can make any sense out of this mind which at times is not logical. And that's only half of it, how God can work through your hearing system and bring out some word of help and of truth. I get very discouraged with preaching and sometimes wonder it works, how it works. And I'm sure about this time you're, you're wanting to say, well, Dick, why don't you quit? I can't. I didn't ask for this job. I was called to it and commanded to preach. God has no other way. How shall they hear without a preacher? I'm not here because I want to be, but because I was called to be here. And somehow or another, God, though it may appear ineffective to me, God somehow blesses His words through our voices and through your hearing and his word is made known. That is not only a mystery, that is a miracle. And though I don't understand it and wish could, I could see more results from it, it is blessed by God. And you remember that, ladies and gentlemen, because you too are called to preach if you have had a confrontation with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if he has given unto you the wisdom of his word, preach! For God's sake, preach! 
especially when you're in Dry Bone Valley. Preach not at or about, but to the bones. To the bones, preach as clearly, as loudly, and as convincingly as you can. And then thirdly, call for the Spirit. Call for the Spirit. Call for the Spirit. I'm getting a little sick and tired of having the charismatics believe that they alone have the power of the Holy Spirit. My goodness, we were preaching and talking about him even before the charismatics came into existence. We have him. And he is waiting for us to call upon him to put breath, put life into us as individuals, into our institutions like the church and the school and the government. God is here right now wanting to put breath into you just as he put it into first man when he created our forefathers and gave unto them not only flesh and blood but breathed into them the breath of life. He'll do it if we call upon him and if he has a purpose for these institutions which today look like dry bones in Dry Bone Valley. Running out of time and it's time for you to get home. But I preach this sermon at this particular junction at his, in history. We've just come from the polling booths. Next week is, is Pentecost. We have Memorial Day coming, Fourth of July, all of these things. And it's about time, I think, when we take a good look and where we stand and where our institutions are. Today I hear two groups of people when they talk about the church and the school and the government. One over here saying, ain't it awful, ain't it awful, ain't it awful. And over here others saying, hey, things aren't so bad, they'll get better. But this large group in between, I don't hear them. Those people who don't say yes or no, but merely... Only the Lord knows. Those people who are willing to preach to the bones and call upon God's Spirit to enter them and to give them life. That's what we need, folks. And if you ever stop by in Dry Bone Valley, remember Ezekiel. Amen. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, it's a warm day, but Father, we complain not after the winter we've been through. Father, it's a day filled with your Spirit. We've laughed, we've cried, we've prayed, we've preached. Oh, Father, breathe into us the breath of excitement, the breath of concern, the breath which enables us to be your people in this world today. And now may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now on the mountaintops and in the valley of the dry bones. Amen.